Awesome. Well, good morning. My name is Jacob Smith, and I am the teaching pastor here at Anderson College, uh, and I would just love to welcome you to Grace. Uh, if you are new, then we are especially glad that you are here. If this is your first time, second time, third time, man, we are just excited that you've joined us uh, to worship our God, and we would love to connect with you. We would love to talk with you more, see you at the back of the room at the end of the service. We'll have people back there that would love to hand you a gift uh, and to have a conversation about how we can help you find your place here at Grace. Uh, For any of you that have never been to one of our growth tracks, growth track is your best opportunity to basically find out more about who we are as a church, how God has created you as an individual, and then what we can accomplish together. So if you've never been, man, I would encourage you to come. Our next one is in two weeks at 11 o'clock, and it's going to be really just a cool opportunity. Uh, We are on the edge of a new beginning, a new chapter. And personally, uh, I am always so excited for these new semesters, for these new transitions, for these new years. Uh, We have a new seating arrangement. I'm like so pumped about this. You have no idea. We've spent hours on figuring out how to put chairs in the room. And you've been spending hours thinking about, man, what are the goals I want to set? What are the changes I want to make in my life? How am I going to rearrange my room, right? I've, I've got all these goals and ideas and, and, and opportunities and dreams. And man, I, I love seeing that play out in your life. I see you, man. I'm seeing students. You guys are back. You're at the gym. You're signing up at Planet Fitness with me and the moms. And I love it, right? You are, you're at HEB and you're buying paper towels. And I'm like, you're an adult. Like, that's good, right? That's good. We as people, there's something in us that actually it loves, right? We all enjoy on some level making these personal goals, these personal changes, these personal dreams. Why? Because ultimately, I think every single one of us, we naturally drift towards being people who are ultimately self-focused. And that can be really good and advantageous in some areas, and yet that can kind of uh, hurt us and others in other in other areas if we're not careful. The show must go on. I love that, the commitment at the end. Uh, we can become so focused on ourselves. We can become so driven and, and narrow-minded on our own lives and our own pursuits. What happens is that other people can wind up getting overlooked. Other people can become almost just an afterthought in our pursuit of our own goals. We might be approaching this semester with great goals, with good goals, with things saying, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose more weight, or I'm going to study more for my tests, or I'm going to clean my apartment, or I'm going to make my roommate clean my apartment, right? Because sometimes, honestly, even when other people factor in to our goals, what, what they are is they're really just a way for us to, we use them, right, to accomplish our own personal goals and aspirations. We do this with people. We do this with the Lord, where we turn other people and we turn our God into essentially a means to our end, where we walk through life or we encounter a new semester and we say, God, I want you to bless me in this thing, right? God, I want you to make me happier in this pursuit. God, I I want you to help other people see how awesome I am in this area. God, I want you to bring to me my, my soulmate with this very next holy swipe, so help me, Jesus. And uh, you, you realize when things don't turn out the way you want it, you, you blame the Lord. Right? We all do this. We, we have these goals and expectations, and when they're not met, we, we fall back on blaming our God. 
And we say, man, I, I tried reading my Bible, right? I tried praying, I tried spending time with the Lord, and it just, it didn't work, right? God didn't work. I tried it, it didn't work. And you see, the reason that that's so problematic is that we are subconsciously, subtly buying into a lie that says that our God exists to serve us, when in reality, we exist to serve Him. Right, so that's why over these first two weeks of the semester, we're going to be taking some time to look at what Jesus actually calls his followers to do, how he calls us to set goals, how he calls us to make plans, how he calls us to actually live in the day-to-day. When he looked at his followers, when he told them, hey, if you want to be my follower, right? if you want to be sold out for my cause, if you really want to walk in the way that I'm walking, you want to live in the way that I'm living, he says, you must what? He says, anyone who wants to be my follower must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. In other words, Jesus looks at his followers, and he says, if you really want to keep this going, if you really want to make this your life, here's what you got to do. You got to be less selfish and more obedient. That's the call. That's the command. It's a life that's less about us and more about him. It's a life that is selfless. A life that's given to a cause greater than our own. And what if we really did this? What if we, as followers of Jesus Christ, really committed ourselves to this pursuit? What would happen if we really pushed against our self-centered nature, our self-centered culture, and we said, no, yeah, I'm going to strive to live a selfless life. I'm, I'm going to ask the Lord in this new semester with these new goals. I'm going to ask the God, hey, God, help me, use me to, to reach more people. God, use me to serve the people around me, others. Lord, 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 use me to support and, and contribute to your work around the world. What if that was our goal? What if that was our change? See, when we see this commitment play out in the lives of the first followers of Jesus Christ, when we look in the book of Acts, which is all about it's this whole historical account about the first followers of Jesus Christ and what they did and how they lived the goals that they set, the changes that they made. I mean, when they committed themselves to this selfless life, what happens in the book of Acts is we see them step up in a new, bold way. We see them become people who are not only selfless, but people who are bold with their belief. And it's a boldness that we see play out in their speech, in their position, and in their prayer. And I would argue for us, here and now, if we really want to walk into this new year, continuing to follow, or maybe starting to follow Jesus Christ, I think the challenge remains the same. The principles hold true. If we want to be followers of Jesus Christ in this new year, we should be a people who are bold in our speech, who are bold in our position, and who are bold in our prayer. Now, we see this play out in Acts chapter 4, if you have your Bible or your phone, you can, you can turn there. But, but we're going to be seeing this play out specifically in two followers of Jesus. This, this man named Peter and a man named John. 
And they we're picking up in kind of the middle of a story where, where Peter and John had been just proclaiming the news that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he was risen, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, that no man would find the Father except through him. And, and as they're preaching this to thousands upon thousands of people, they're seeing thousands upon thousands of people trust in Jesus Christ. Peter just preached to three, thousands of people. He saw three to 5,000 people come to faith in one sermon. And they're seeing this incredible shift and change take place in their local culture and in the surrounding area. And when that shift is happening, that that change is happening, the the ruling authorities get nervous, right? They're they're seeing this big like disruption in their midst. They're like, man, what's going on? And to get to the bottom of it, they begin to investigate, right? And so they're interviewing Peter and John because they had just performed a miraculous sign. They just healed someone. And so they bring them before this council, like, what are you doing? Like, how is this happening? What's going on? To explain to us this dramatic shift, right? It'd be like if suddenly you walked onto A&M campus this spring and you noticed, hey, one out of five people is wearing a fanny pack. If there were suddenly just like 12,000 students wearing fanny packs on campus, you'd be like, what? How? What? Why? Right? Like, what? Well, you, some of you would rejoice. You'd be like, finally, right? And you would just whip it around. Uh, others of you would be like, what's going on? And, and I'll tell you, if you suddenly had tens of thousands of students wearing fanny packs, like there would probably be legitimate like professor administrator meetings where they're like, what's up with the pack? Like what's up with the fannies? Like what's going on with all these fan packs? Like what's, what's happening? Right? Because it's a disruption to the norm. And so the council is bringing Peter and John in front of them. They're like, what in the world are you doing? And they stand in front of this council under threat of imprisonment or even death. And they tell them straight up, very boldly. They say, hey, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, replies, he says, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today for a good deed done to a sick man, and you're wondering by what means this man was healed, let me tell you. Let me spit some truth at you. Let me drop the bomb. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, this man stands before you healthy. He says, you want to know the answer? You don't want to know why all this disruption is taking place? You don't want to know why all these people are talking and changing and, and shifting and they're not going to the temple and they're going to these other places to worship? You want to know what's happening? He says, it's Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. He's changed everything. He says, and this is the Jesus Christ that you crucified, that you tried to kill, yet God raised him from the dead. This is the Jesus Christ who is the stone that you rejected. Even though you were supposed to be the builders of God's people, you rejected him, and he has become the cornerstone. They're quoting Psalm 118 to these rulers, saying, you missed it. You don't see it because you've been blind the whole time. You saw him as a stumbling block. He is, in fact, the cornerstone to the people of God, to the true worshipers of the one true living God. He says, this is Jesus. He's he's the one, right? He's, He's the only place where we can find salvation. There is no salvation in anyone else. There's no other way to be delivered from the bondage of sin and death, right? They're saying that the rules and regulations that you've created, they don't work. The path that you've laid out, it leads to death. They say there is no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. They say it's Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, the life. That's what's happening. And the rulers, 
the authorities, the teachers, the scribes, the Pharisees. They don't know what to do with that. Because Peter and John were speaking boldly. Their love and their joy and their excitement and their passion bleeds through their words. And I'll tell you, as I was reading this in preparation for this week, the question I kept asking is, why, why doesn't this happen for me? Why do I miss this boldness in my own life? Why do we find ourselves failing to speak with the boldness that's so clearly on display? And I think it's basically always fear. It's fear. And that fear manifests on different levels. For some of us, man, maybe we're afraid of looking foolish. We're afraid that if we start that spiritual conversation, a question's going to come up that we don't know how to answer, and we'll look dumb, or, or we'll mess things up. Sometimes we're afraid of, of feeling uh, uh, pushy, right, of offending someone, because we're, we're too like, ah, Jesus, like, and, and that, that fear of rubbing people the wrong way, that, that holds us back from speaking boldly our gospel. Right? That's what they're saying. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we were broken, that we were dead, that we were in the midst of our transgression, of our sin, of our mistakes, with no hope of eternal life, with no hope of, of having relationship with the God of the universe, and yet our God saw us in the midst of that depravity, in the midst of that brokenness, and he didn't want to leave us there. And so he sent Jesus out of heaven and onto earth to live a perfect life that we couldn't live, to die a death that we deserved, to raise again, to be, to be risen from the dead, so that we can call on his name. So that when we trust in him, we're given his perfection. So we don't have to experience the same death. So that we can instead live in this new life. Forgiven of our sin. Cleansed of our debt. Offered a new purpose, a new goal. A new pursuit. To know God and to make him known. A new identity of being his sons and daughters above all else. What holds us back from saying that? Is it the fear of looking foolish? Is it the fear of offending? And I'll tell you, for me, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm right there with you in, in allowing fear to, to take root in my heart, to slow my words, to change the way I present myself. When, when you're in college and you meet people, right, there's kind of these like default early questions. Right? People generally ask, you know, like, oh, okay, what's your name? Okay, great. Oh, where are you from? Oh, okay, cool. Uh, what, what's your major? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. How about them mags? Whoop, whoop, uh-huh, yeah, that's right. You know, like, that's, that's kind of how it goes. Like, any person you meet, you generally find out, like, where they're from, you find out what they're majoring in, or you're just like, uh, Aggies? Sports? Uh-huh, okay, uh, touchdown? Like, and then you just, that whatever. Now, and I, and I had those, I had thousands of those conversations when I was in college, and I still had some even after college, because people thought, like, oh, this guy looks young. He has some vigor, uh, but that's gone now, right? I'm a dad, all right? So my, youth, my youthful vigor is long. It's back in 2009, all right? And so now, what I find myself in is anytime I meet a person, those first conversations, uh, those questions are very different. Now there's one question that I always get, and it's always every single time, oh, so uh, what do you do? What do you do? And I'll tell you, every single time I hit that question, I have two options to respond. 
I, I can either tell them, oh, yeah, oh, I, I work at a Grace Bible Church. I work at a church uh, down in Texas. I, I, you know, I work uh, here in town at a church, Grace Bible Church. You'd be here, oh, okay, great, yeah. Or I can respond and just tell them, uh, oh, yeah, I, I work with uh, college students. I work with uh, Aggies. And, and people will take either one, right? If I stay vague, that's fine. And if I'm honest with you, I'll tell you, there are situations and moments where I don't always want to lead with the church card because I'm fearful. Because in that moment, I, I'm, I'm intimidated by the situation or I'm intimidated by the person or I'm just tired. I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to have that spiritual conversation. Even though I have the like, most perfect segue even though I have this like wide open door of just being like, oh, I'm a professional Christian, right? Like that's <laughs> the easiest access to spiritual conversation. I, I, I leave it to the side. I don't pick it up. I leave that tool in my belt. Why? Because of fear. Because of fear. And I have moments like this of clarity where I look at that, I look back and I have regret. I'm sad that I would miss that opportunity. That opportunity that, you know, there will be another one because God is gracious in giving me multiple opportunities. God's gracious in giving, honestly, all of us so many of these opportunities, these little moments that, that, that carry divine, eternal potential. We've, we walk into these moments all the time, and yet what do we do with them? Right, with these eternal potential moments, what do we do? Maybe it's not necessarily the moment to just stand out of your you know, barber chair and say, behold the Lamb of God, right? and, and begin to preach from Ezekiel. But maybe it's a moment where you can share your love for the local church. Maybe it's a moment where you can talk about how you're excited about your Christian community. Maybe it's a moment where you can display some of the love and the joy and the satisfaction that you find in following Jesus. But man, that love and excitement doesn't always shine through for us. So why was it different for Peter and John? You know, I think as we read this passage, what we see is a universal truth that ultimately, for pretty much all people everywhere, our speech is always going to be boldest wherever our belief is going to be deepest. Right? Our speech is always boldest where our belief runs deepest. Because when we look at the very next verse, when we look at Acts chapter 4, verse 13, we see the reason that Peter and John's speech is so bold. And the reason that we see is that it wasn't just their speech, Right? But it was their source. Their speech was coming out of a bold position. They were speaking out of a place that was directly entwined, intimately entwined with Jesus Christ. When the rulers and the authorities and the scribes, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they discovered they were uneducated and ordinary men. They were amazed and they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. What's the answer? Well, it wasn't their education. It wasn't their training. That's what uneducated and ordinary men means. It doesn't mean that they were stupid, 
But literally, the, the word here for ordinary, uh, it's the Greek word idiote, which you might be able to guess what English word we get from that, right? Fool. Uh, no, not really. Uh, but we get this word of idiot, and it means that you are an unskilled person, that you're out of your depth. In whatever situation you find yourself, you're not ready for it. That's what it means. And so suddenly, when the scribes and Pharisees, when they're looking at these men, they say, man, they're not trained, right? They're not, they're not classically equipped for this type of situation. So what's going on? And they realize that these men had been with Jesus. Their boldness came. Their boldness in their speech came from a boldness in their position. They'd been with Christ. They knew Christ. They loved Christ. And we talk about what we care about. That's just what we do, right? We always will talk about what we care about. Maybe we saw that over the break. We got really excited about that show or that movie, or we got excited about that, that gift or that experience or that trip or that person. And we talked about that person over and over and over again. Our parents were like, oh, how's it going? You're like, oh, oh, did I tell you about Bethany? Oh, my God. Like, you know, that's, we went on three dates and we're going to get married. Like, whatever. Like, you just have this conversation piece. You have this kind of talking point that comes up over and over and over and over and over again. And it's because you're excited about it. Or your parents did the same thing to you. Or your family members, they did the same thing to you. They're like, man, have I told you about gardening potatoes? It's the best. You're like, okay, Grandpa. He's like, no, listen, right? And they just will talk and talk and talk and talk. Why? Because we talk about what we care about. We see this all the time, maybe a lot like this kid. Get my Open it. you got a banana for Christmas, but next year, put it on your Amazon wish list, right? Because this is clearly amazing. You can take it home, and that's it, right? But you, we get excited about these things in our lives. Man, I asked at the first service, I was like, what movie even came out over the break? People were like, Bird Box, and I was like, oh, true, technically, right? And people would got so excited about Bird Box that they were like, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, they're like blindfolded and there's like monsters. I haven't watched it, but it's too spooky. But uh, people got so excited, they're like, hashtag Bird Box Challenge. They're like, I'm going to drive to HEB with a blindfold. And you're like, stop. Like, but that's, they're so excited that they can't stop talking about it, right? We are getting so excited about these things and we talk about the things that we care about. The boldness from Peter and John, it flowed out of not training, not, not, not equipping, not a, not a podcast they listened to, not a, not a three-point like action step plan they were following. It flowed out of the fact that they were with Jesus. And that position set them up to be bold in their belief, to be bold in their speech, to be used by Christ for his purpose. They had positioned themselves for Jesus Christ's purpose, not their own. 
And I tell you, we miss this so often. I miss this so often because I'm not with Jesus. I'm in the wrong spiritual position. So often we've, we replace that position. We, we put something else in that place. We, we fill it with a, a video game or a, or a social media account. We fill it with a, a show or a person or an internship. And, and those things aren't bad. Those things are, can be good. But those things cannot be paramount. Those things cannot be the end all ultimate focus of our lives. And if we're giving away time to them over Christ, and we're missing something. And it should be no surprise that we find ourselves in moments with potential for spiritual conversation, with potential for changing eternal trajectories. And in those moments, we just don't have the heart. We don't have it in us. Why? Because we're not spending the time we need with our Lord and Savior. Peter and John, man, they they were speaking out of a beautiful place, dependence upon the Lord. And for some of us, that's what we need to change this semester. Some of us were like, man, that's that's where I want to be. And and I I would give you two simple encouragements. One is that if you want to put yourself in a spiritual position with Jesus Christ, maybe you want to change your position, get in the Word. Look at God's revealed Word. He's given us this incredible gift in Scripture. And maybe you don't know where to start. And I would encourage you to use a reading plan. Download the Bible app on your phone and start a reading plan. version is a great option. It's the most common one. We will actually have even a Devo that's connected to our next sermon series here in a couple weeks. We're going to be speaking on sexuality for four weeks this spring. And we have reading in the Word and questions to ask and prayers to lift up related to that topic. Maybe in the meantime, though, before we start that off, just look. There's so many options. You can read in wisdom, or you can read the book of John in 12 days, or you know, whatever. Like, there's so many options to immerse yourself in God's word, to spend time with him, hearing from him, seeking his will, asking him questions, listening for his response. Start a reading plan and join a community of people that that are actually centered on Christ. That's so helpful. God tells us all the time that we need other people in our pursuit of him. We need brothers and sisters walking alongside of us that, yeah, we talk about our lives and we share our struggles and our, and our challenges. We share our joys and our sorrows. But we also remember that, hey, ultimately, this community is not just about us. It's not a self-centered thing. It's, it's, it's Christ-centered. Surround yourself with people. If you don't have that, talk with us today. We, we have so many opportunities for you to jump into Christ-centered community here at Grace. Because I'll tell you, as we position ourselves next to Christ, what happens is it opens up an opportunity for us not only to be bold in our speech, coming out of a bold position, but it allows us, it sets us up to be bold in our prayer. You see, at the end of this chapter, when Peter and John are kind of debriefing with other believers, they're, they're talking about, man, this is going to keep coming, right? They're like, they didn't, get in, you know, they didn't get in prison this time. No one got killed this time, but they see it coming. And they're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this persecution that we're going to face? And so they decide as a, as a group, they're like, okay, we need to pray. We need to seek the Lord's will on this. We need to ask God to really move in the midst of all this, uh, this persecution, of all this fear that we're facing. And they don't ask for protection. They don't ask for their burdens to be lifted. 
what's so incredible about their prayer is they say, God, we want you to consider the authority's threats, right? To consider the things that we're facing and, and enable us, right? Enable your servants, us, the believers, the followers of Christ in this room. God, enable us to speak your word with great boldness. They don't pray for safety. They don't pray for protection. They don't pray for, for God to like give them safe travels and like work out these events for them to, to raise more money so that they can go even further. They say, God, Help us be bold. Speak more boldly your word, your truth. That's what they're asking for. So, man, my question again is, man, what are we praying for? How are we speaking? How are we positioning ourselves? And how are we praying? Because I'll tell you, this is generally not my prayer. It simply isn't. My wife and I have been trying to teach our children uh, the value of prayer. And as we do that, right, with our daughter, Charlotte, she's four, son, Lawrence, he's two. As we, as we teach them about prayer, it can be challenging, right, because they're very young, four and two, it's very young. And, and yet there are little elements that they're picking up on, uh, and it's been eye-opening for me and my wife. As, as we watch them learn, we're kind of seeing prayer through their eyes. And what's happening is that I'm seeing with, with Lawrence in particular, so my son, who's two, I'm like, okay, He's kind of, he gets that it's like a, a, a significant thing, right? He sees like the, the importance of prayer because when we are before a meal, if, if we're going to pray, like he will reach out his hands and be like, pray, pray. And so we all have to hold hands and then he lowers his head and he looks just angry, right? Because I think that's what he thinks serious is. And so he goes, just scratch up his face, goes, amen. And that's it. That's his whole prayer, Right? I kind of put him in like the it's the thought that counts category because obviously that prayer is, it's sweet, but it's useless, right? But for furthering the kingdom of heaven, uh, but he's trying and I appreciate that. Uh, with my daughter, Charlotte, she's four and, and because she's four, she's a few steps ahead, she, she gets a little bit more. And what's interesting is that as I'm watching her pray, as I hear her prayer, I, I realize that she's really at a stage where she's still mostly just copying what she sees. And so really her prayers are holding up this little tiny mirror to my prayer. And I've noticed over the past few weeks that when she prays, she prays for three things. Before meal, before bed or whatever, she'll always default to these three things. She'll say, say, God, thank you for our family. God, thank you for our home. God, thank you for mommy. Amen. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> A little bit of shade at the table. Uh, with that food that I bought, right? But whatever. <laughs> but I realized in listening to her prayer, I'm like, that's honestly a lot of times how I pray. And it's good to thank God for that, right? Gratitude is important. It's essential. We're commanded to be thankful in all circumstances, right? To lift up these, these, this gratitude to our God. But, but the reality is that that's not the ultimate end goal of prayer. It's a part of it. But it's not the entirety, that, that prayer is sweet and it's good, but it's not bold. And I realized in listening to her pray, I was like, man, I, I'm not asking for the word of God to go forth. I'm not praying the words that Paul shares in Romans 10, that faith comes by what is heard and what is heard is only made possible by the preaching of the word of Christ. I'm not praying for the word of Christ to go forth on our campus, in your lives, back home, around the world. I'm not, I'm not praying for that. And I'm missing something. I'm missing something. 
And so I think we need to ask ourselves, what, what are we praying for? Right? How are we praying in this brand new semester? Because honestly, last semester, this past fall, I was amazed at the boldness that God gave to so many of you. I, I don't know why last semester was the semester, but man, five and a half years of college ministry, 11 semesters in, last semester was just the semester where I lost track. I lost count of the number of students that would come to me after services and, and, and just excitedly tell me about how they're hearing the word of God for the first time or they're seeing the love of Christ for the very first time. And all this is taking place, not because they looked us up on Google or because they saw a flyer or they saw a flag. Like they're, they're here because they were invited by a friend, by one of you. And the stories that we've been sharing around our staff table on a weekly basis have turned into this beautifully encouraging time where, where I'm just hearing about the boldness that you have the way that you're owning your faith, the way that you're boldly inviting people to join you in worshiping the living God. I've been so encouraged by you this year. And here's the reality. There are still people in our lives who need to hear the truth about Jesus Christ. There's people you saw over the break that you love dearly that do not know the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's sobering. But thankfully, it's not too late for them. Right? Thankfully, we still have time to, to share with them this beautiful gift of forgiveness by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We have a new year, a new semester, a new opportunity to be bold, to overcome this fear. Because we didn't read this this morning, but, but right before, very shortly before, Peter was standing in front of thousands of people uh, preaching the, the good news of Jesus Christ, seeing thousands of people come to faith. Like sh- very shortly before that, he was hiding in a room behind a locked door, terrified, scared out of his wits with all these other followers of Jesus. They were hiding in a room because they were afraid of what the people outside of that room would do or say or, or, or enact, what, they, what would happen if those people knew that they had been with Jesus. That position that brought so much boldness in front of that council in Acts 4, just a short time before, produced fear and anxiety and terror. But it was in the middle of that fear, in the midst of that moment, that Jesus Christ appeared to them. And he showed them the truth of his resurrection. He showed them his, his, his power, his ability to turn the dead to life. And in that moment, they were convicted of their wrong belief. And they were convinced that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. They were convinced of his resurrection. They were convinced that he was alive. And in that moment, everything changed. Everything. And for some of us, this is our moment where the Spirit of God is at work in your heart and he's bringing you to a conviction that your past belief is wrong. That you've been trying to make your own way. You've been trying to figure these things out 
apart from the power of Jesus Christ, and it's simply not going to work. This is the moment where you are being convicted by the Spirit, where you are being convinced that Jesus Christ holds the solution to your ultimate problem, that you've been separated from the God of the universe. This is your moment. For others of us, this is the moment where the Spirit of God is at work in your heart, convicting you of the fear that's holding you back from a life that's boldly lived for Christ. This is the moment where he's convincing you that you need his power and his strength to walk forward, to be his witness in face of fear, in face of maybe even persecution. This is the moment where he's convincing you that it is worth it to follow Jesus Christ. He's calling you to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, to sacrifice daily, to give yourself to the cause of Christ, to invite other people boldly to join you in that pursuit. I don't know where you are on that spectrum, but I know that God is calling us to something more, that he wants to use us this semester. So let's ask him, to guide our hearts and our thoughts as we step forward boldly into this year. God, we, we thank you that you've given us an opportunity, Lord, to, to hear from your word, Lord, to experience your truth. And Lord, we confess that we're not always bold. Lord, that some of us have been hiding in fear our entire lives. We're trying to make our own solutions to life's deepest problems, and God, it's just never worked. And Lord, there's some of us that are seeing now for the first time that it's only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that we can be saved. So God, I thank you for the conviction that you are, are bringing to the hearts and minds of these students. I mean, if, if that's you, if, if you're in a position where you're saying, God, I, I, I haven't ever really owned this. I've, I've never really believed this. I've never truly accepted that Jesus is the way. I mean, if that's you, I, I would just ask that you'd be bold. And that as our heads are still down, our eyes are still closed, that, that you, would, you would just raise your hand so that I can pray for you. I mean, if you're in that place, awesome to see you. See you in the back. That's awesome. Y'all can put your hands down, and I'm just going to pray for you. And, and you can pray with me. And this isn't a, a magical prayer. This isn't like the secret formula, but, but it's simply a, a way to confess the state of your heart. Pray with me in, in confessing that, God, we, we're, we're broken beyond our own ability to repair. God, we need your love. We need your forgiveness. And God, we want that. God, we see that that's available by trusting in Jesus Christ. I mean, if that's where your heart is, if that's the confession that you just made, you've left death behind. You've run out of the grave. And you've stepped into life. And we would love, we would desperately love to talk with you at the close of this service. 
For the rest of us, maybe this is a faith that we've had for some time that we just simply haven't used to its fullest potential. So for the rest of us, I would encourage you to take just a moment right now in the stillness of your heart to, to ask the Lord, God, what needs to change? God, is it the way that I speak? God, is it the way that I position myself? God, is it, is it the, the prayers that I lift up? Ask the Lord to just put that point in your mind. God, show me what, what can change this semester. And then ask him, say, God, now show me who can I share this change with? Maybe it's a fellow believer who can hold me accountable. God, maybe it's someone who doesn't know you that, that needs to hear about Jesus Christ. But those two simple requests, say, God, show me what needs to change, and then simply, God, who needs to hear about that shift? Ask him for that right now.